Hi, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. Delighted on this episode to be talking with Justin Weigard. Justin, thank you for jumping in, talking with me, and spending a few minutes talking about comics and B-movies and uh, the speculative in general. Yeah, thank you for having me. You know, uh, happy to always talk about, you know, the good stuff, right? All the good, all the good things. Um, I believe you have an official title. I believe you're a postdoctoral researcher. Is that right? Yeah, I am a postdoctoral research fellow in the distant viewing lab at the University of Richmond here in Virginia. Uh, and I'm also sort of, uh, I also have sort of a home appointment where I teach in uh, the Department of Rhetoric and Communication Studies as well. Nice, nice. Yeah. I uh, grew up in West Virginia, so not too far from there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. West Virginia is awesome. Uh, got to travel over there a little bit. Uh, Richmond is nice. There's a lot of great spaces around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Went to uh, this was the first thing that was comics show comics convention adjacent. I went to in Richmond in I think it was 97. They did like a, a toy show there. It was a comics toy show. And the big guest at the time was Al Simmons, Spawn. Yeah. Um, so, yep. Yep, yep. So fond memories of, of traveling there and buying <laughs> a rogue action figure. Back yeah, in the day. I was pretty thrilled when I when I moved down here to to find that there are like seven or eight different comic shops in the area, um, mm -hmm. as well as uh, the, the Richmond Comic Con, um, which happens a few times a year and then of course there's the richmond comic arts festival put on by uh, uh francesca lynn and, and skelly right like there's a lot of it there's there's a really and of course the the bcu comics uh comic special collections too like there's actually like a really great hotbed of comic stuff going on here in, in richmond that i'm pretty thrilled to be a, a tiny part of awesome awesome yeah that makes me want to get back there <laughs> Um, so I believe the first official question is sort of the, the background question about comics, pop culture, uh, science fiction, film, and how these texts and story worlds have become part of your academic work, your research. It sounds very fun. Yeah, I, I, I feel very, very fortunate and uh, lucky to be where I am. You know, I feel like a lot of us working, working in comics kind of feel like we have the best job in the world. I am one of that crowd, right? Um, I actually got started in, in college trying to be an art educator. I wanted to be a K-12 art teacher and then realized very quickly that like doing art was not quite for me. And, you know, I'd have peers that were uh, churning out doodles that looked better than the thing that I had spent a whole semester working on. Um, and I was like dragging my feet on doing that too. It just, it, it, something wasn't quite clicking, you know, although I, in hindsight, I think if I'd had a course on comics or cartooning uh, or even zine making, I might've like that, that might've been the thing that, that got me to stick around, but I eventually pivoted to elementary education where I, you know, fell in love with uh, reading all over again. I've been a, a reader you know, ever since for, for my entire life, I've just been reading everything I get my hands on. And then I realized I, you know, wasn't elementary education wasn't quite for me. I loved working with kids and um, but I, I really wanted to be teaching at a different a different level in a different context. And right around then I started taking some some literature courses and realized that I could teach and research and, and write about popular fiction, popular culture in different ways. Um, 
this was back at, at Central Michigan University. And so I ended up uh, kind of going into that, you know, full bore and realized that I could start writing about the things that really matter to me, particularly when I was growing up, right? I could start writing and talking about video games. I could teach about comics. I could uh, end up working with with my pals and, and talking about, you know, bad science fiction movies. And that's sort of... Um, <laughs> how I got to where I am now, you know, I've, I feel like I've been fortunate to fall in with a really good community of scholars and, and educators who are also studying similar things in different ways. And they've, I think, helped open the door for me a lot. Um, especially when I got to, to Michigan State for where I did my, my PhD in English and kind of fell in with a lot of the, the comics folks there too, like Julian Chambliss and, and Zach Caruzzi, who had also graduated from there. So uh yeah just kind of been uh found a good way to be a, a big professional nerd ever since but for me too a big a big part of it is really trying to not just like do the do the research but also teach those texts to my students and to get them to really think critically about the sorts of popular culture and popular media that they're consuming and ingesting in different ways yeah yeah i love that and um, somewhere along the way in my doc program, I heard someone say that research is a me search or something like that. And I love that kind of nostalgia that you get to engage with. I, I just enjoy writing about things that I enjoyed yeah. um, and then finding ways academically to say it's not just because I enjoyed it. It's because it explores this. But, uh, you know, it's it all works. It all works. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny, too. I uh I actually tried to avoid for a very long time. I tried to avoid writing about the things that I love, right? I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to almost keep them separate because I was worried that if I studied them too closely, I wouldn't enjoy them anymore. Or I would like kind of lose the thing that I loved about them. Um, so like my first few chapters were on uh, like CW superhero shows and some of the, like the Netflix Marvel stuff. And then eventually <laughs> I was like, you know, I really want to return. I, I think I have something to say about Calvin and Hobbes, which is like the really, really the first like comic that got me into reading comics. Um, you know, I loved watching Batman, the animated series, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, cartoon, the X-Men. So I love mm -hmm. those. But growing up, like Calvin and Hobbes was like the comic for me and still is. It's like, you know, I, I have something I want to say, but I need to make sure I do it right. And that's, you know, I, I probably spent like four, three, four years total working on that article because I wanted to make sure I did it justice. Um, it, it, it turned out really great. But yeah, I, it, that, that nostalgia factor is, is interesting to kind of grapple with. Like, do I have nostalgia for this thing? Is that a, is that a misplaced nostalgia, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to mention graphic possibilities because that was something that you collaborated on. Um, but uh, if you want to share a little bit about that. But then I also know that it's led into some other work and other possibilities for you, too, which which is great because it's the word possibilities. is, is part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Graphic Possibilities is this graduate research workshop at Michigan State University uh, helmed by Professor Julian Chambliss, who's, who's wonderful. Uh, and it's uh, housed in the Department of English at, at MSU. And really, it's this graduate workshop de dedicated to uh, critical engagement and uh, engaged inquiry with comics in different ways. And so it, it was a good way for um, Julian and the, a few comics graduate students to kind of engage with like pedagogy and comics research. And so there's a few different branches of it. One was like the, the Graphic Possibilities podcast, which folks can go to Spotify or wherever they get the podcast and, and uh, listen to some great interviews with folks like Rodney Barnes, 
um, Elizabeth LaFonce, uh, Hoche Anderson, Tim Fielder, et cetera. Um, and then we also did a lot of work with digital communities and comics in different ways. And so, uh, you know, trying to apply digital tools to study and learn more about comics in, in a lot of different, a lot of different forms. Um, and that's sort of where a lot of my recent work has, has sort of been situated is sort of trying to understand how comics and, and computational methods and can connect and sort of, uh, complement each other in different ways or, in other ways, like trying to understand how comics resist different forms of uh, computational approaches. So uh, that led to the work that I'm doing at University of Richmond, where we're applying this approach that uh, my two lab directors, Lauren Tilton and Taylor Arnold, they pioneered this approach called distant viewing, basically the idea of um, trying to study like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of visual media all at once, right? So mm -hmm. not just all of the frames of a movie but trying to study like 15 or 20 different movies all at once or not just every scene of uh, a television episode but you know 200 episodes and then also multiple television series combined all at once right <laughs> and, and so i'm trying to do some of that work with with comic strips in different ways and it's been really interesting trying to see like you know we it, it pretty much relies on computer vision right uh the practice of training computers to to see what we see as humans in different ways. So like Snapchat filters operate on uh, computer vision, security systems operate on computer vision. Trying to do that with comic strips is, is really weird and complicated because it's all representational. Mm -hmm. And so like computers don't always pick up on the difference between like an electro electrical socket and Charlie Brown's face but it might be able to to find um, panels and captions and maybe even like very realistic drawings because that's closer to a human face than it is like, you know, a light socket. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And mentioning film, mentioning television, um, I think you and I have that affinity in common as well um, because I, I enjoy writing about comics, reading comics, engaging with uh, the printed page or digital page that way. But uh, there's also something to be said for B-movies in your work. So I'm going to mention uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 as being one of the, the great ways that I was introduced to B-movies um, and the commentary there. But you also have a book from McFarland uh, that tackles yeah. this topic as well. Uh, I do. Yeah. Uh, shame, shameless plug. Uh, absolutely attack, put it attack, out there attack of the new b movies essays on sci-fi original films uh edited with my pal uh mitch plasconco um yeah i uh i fell in love with with b movies because i would be surfing uh surfing cable like way late at night and i would come across just like drek you know at like one in the morning and I'd be like oh i gotta watch this ab absurd movie right i don't know what it is but at, at one in the morning this is the thing i need to be consuming um this this book and and sort of like my study of B movies kind of came about because in in graduate school, uh, my friends and I started watching movies every Wednesday to kind of keep ourselves a little bit sane while we were going through our comprehensive exams or dissertating. Right, so we would all get together, crowd into somebody's office on like a Wednesday afternoon, and initially we started out watching um, Hallmark movies. We watched uh, uh, the garage sale murder mysteries with Lori Laughlin. Um, uh -huh. We were just like, we want to watch something that's completely 
unconnected to our work. We just want to watch something mindless and like, you know, eventually Mitch and I ended up writing about the, the garage sale mysteries because like, you know, we, we watched 15 of them. We had too much to say about it. <laughs> so we worked through all of those and then eventually it's like, oh, well, we worked through them. What do we watch in the spring? So that ended up being sci-fi channel movies. So we started watching Sharknado, uh, Two Lava, Two Lantula. Um, and we watched some other movies alongside of that, you know, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and some other like non-sci-fi stuff. But we realized that like there wasn't anything out there on the sci-fi channel, like in a substantive way. And so mm-hmm. we uh, got some of our grad pals together. We put out a call for papers and recruited some some really wonderful folks, uh, some international folks, too, which is really great. And uh, turned out this this uh, this book, which I, I'm really proud of. I think it turned out. I think it turned out to be a really fun book to read. There's some really great chapters in there, like um, Christina Nope writing on uh, shark exploitation films, and it's uh-huh. just it's filled with really good, bad, uh, cheesy shark puns. But it's also this really wonderful sort of uh, dissection of like like shark slasher movies, right? Splasher films. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's some folks in there who tackle nostalgia in different ways, like Zach Cruzy. Um, and and there's also uh if folks are interested there's a i try to put together as as like comprehensive of a filmography as i can of of the sci-fi channel movie so i think that there's a list of like 524 525 films in there too uh nice. from from like 1992 to 2022 roughly but yeah it just ended up becoming a way for for my friends and i to talk about something that really we enjoyed but also we realized mattered right like sci-fi channel has been putting out these films for 30 years that's so weird <laughs> <laughs> and like the, the their approaches to it has changed you know over the years and decade to decade from like the you know like their their channel branding uh changes to to now where they're only putting out like one or two a year right it's it's mm-hmm. fascinating so that really interesting time period where they decided to uh, spell sci-fi differently and now it's sci-fi yeah yeah and that's even changed a little bit too where like it was like all caps at one point it was lowercase at one point um there was a while where they were putting out like 24 movies a year or something like that wow. like, so so many and then uh one of the things we talked about in the book is that like Sharknado happened. Sharknado was, you know, way bigger than they ever could have thought it would be. Sharknado 2 uh, ended up becoming pretty huge as well. But they kind of kept trying to capture that lightning in a bottle. Yep. And then, and over time, their movies kind of started um, becoming a little bit more convoluted. And they sort of like kind of fell off in quality, which is saying something. <laughs> <laughs> um and and so eventually now they're only putting out a couple a year where, you know, like versus the early 2000s, where it was like 24 or 25, you know, 20 a year or something like that. And they also had really great folks like John Reese davies was uh, in a lot of them. Uh-huh. At, uh-huh. But like after Lord of the Rings, right? Like I if there's one person I want to talk to, I want to I want to learn more about like how he got involved in those. Um, true, oh, true. Yeah, and there's there's some really great gems in there too. Uh, uh, Giancarlo Esposito's in a really great one called uh, Chupacabra versus the Alamo or Chupacabra Dark Seas. I want to say one or the other. Yeah, just some some great great gems in there. <laughs> and uh, oh, there was something else that you said there that I was going to to tag on to as well. Oh, the the edited book 
process. I, I find it really enjoyable. Uh, and I've done a couple, you get to curate these things that other people write and sort of comment on them and enjoy what other people explore and think about. So there, there's kind of a, there is a, a painful process to the editing, editing of a book. Um, but there's also the, the joy of getting to see what people come up with and share and pitch and things of that nature too. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I kind of want to hear your thoughts on this. One of the one of the things that's really delightful to me about about editing a, a volume like this is that um, you cast the net out and like like sometimes, you know, it's like you you invite some folks in. It's like, I know you have a project here that fits. I want you to like, I want to give you space to write about that. But other times it's like, I know that I can't possibly cover all of this on my own. And mm -hmm. I, I shouldn't, right? Like I'm a, uh, you know, uh, cis white, male guy from like mid Michigan, right? Like there are so many other better perspectives than my own that I want involved in these projects. And, and I also, you know, I know English and, and comics pretty well and, 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 you know, film and pop culture, but like our book is, I was excited for our book because we ended up getting some folks working in STEM who pitched us and like developed some really, really cool projects for, for this book. Like, um, uh, Christine Larson was writing about like particle physics and like uh, particle accelerators in a few different sci-fi films. And then um, Patty Peterson has a really, really wonderful chapter on uh, Mansquito and then uh, vector controls in like mosquito swarms, basically. And and she kind of talks about like in this this much larger argument about how mosquitoes are you know like one of the you know like one of the world's deadliest animals, but there's only like a handful of movies about them. And she kind of connects it to some really interesting like STEM approaches to to understanding mosquito swarms, and then zeroes in on this awful movie called Mansquito. Right? <laughs> it's like it's stuff that I wouldn't have ever come up with, but I'm I'm so glad that that we were able to 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 make space for for Hattie, but also you yeah. know like. Like for international folks too, right? Uh, we have uh, Fernando uh, Pagnoni Burns writing on writing on some B movies too, who's down in South America. So it's it's really great to to make space for those voices. I think. Yeah, I love that aspect of it too. Uh, inviting folks and um, getting perspectives from around the world and across disciplines, and <clears throat> in some ways, being the editor that sometimes you wish other editors would be um it's also a, a great joy of it and getting to share that with people yeah. yeah it's there's it's a rewarding process for the editor i think yeah i would agree and uh and i also want to give a shout out to our um our, our cover designer too uh at mcfarland because they they understood the assignment uh, if you haven't looked <laughs> at the book um it's just this giant um monstrous snake serpent thing with like helicopters flying overhead they they understood what we were going for it's great perfect <laughs> perfect yep um so i think we're at the last official question but you're welcome to tag in anything that i've missed anything that's come up as we've talked i always like to share some space at the end for folks to share about resources go-tos for teachers um fellow researchers students and, and things like that if you'd like to promo any upcoming projects it's like on letterman when you come on and you're like show us the clip um <laughs> whatever it happens to be yeah um i uh 
Boy, this is, I, I was actually just emailing with somebody today recommending a few resources. Um, I really love uh, how to study comics and graphic novels. And I can never remember all three of the folks who are, who are involved with it, but it's, it's put out by um, Oxford. Uh, you'll, this is really, really good podcasting. I know. Um, but I, I always want to, I want to like make sure I, yeah, I want to make sure I get their names right if I can. Um, but anyways, how to study uh, comics and graphic novels. It's a free open access, um, like 32 page document or so that, um, is it really is, is the introduction, the introductory text that I often use in my classes, uh, by Enrique Del, uh, Del Rey Cabero, Michael Goodrum and Hosean Morlison Mulatto. I'm sure I mispronounced their names a little bit, but um, it's a really great open access uh, resource that introduces how to study comics. It introduces like formal elements, how to read them and why we read them, but also does so in a, a pretty um, easy to understand uh, and also like some somewhat metatextual approach, right? It's like, here's how, um, you know, the visual language of comics works. Here's how panels work a little bit like McLeod, but in a, a much more digestible format. Mm-hmm. And it and it also kind of gets at some of the the conversations that we're always kind of grappling with, right? Like, what's the difference between um, a comic strip, a comic book, and a graphic novel? Or you know, what are some of like the major genres? I think it talks about the the industry a little bit, which I really love. Um, we mentioned graphic possibilities, so I'll give them another shout out. The the graphic possibilities bibliography. It's a a lib guide on MSU Libraries website that's really wonderful. It's got a lot of really fabulous uh, critical bibliographies put together by scholars and, and educators uh, for folks to get started with comics in their own classroom. I love the the keywords in comic studies book uh, edited by Ramsey Fawaz, uh, Shelley Streeby, and Deborah Elizabeth Whaley. That's mm-hmm. like that's that's another one of my go to books. Um, it, it teaches really well for if you're trying to introduce students to specific concepts and to think broader about things like gutters or, or um, uh, you know, specific case studies. But it also is something that I return to as a scholar myself. Um, <laughs> like there's, there's, you know, we can only know so many things, right? And I love having a really great and um, robust book like that to inspire my own research, I guess. Yeah. Um. And then I'm, I'm thinking about platforming, like like some of the other stuff I'm doing. Uh, we'll have some uh, some hopefully some some really exciting work coming out of the the distant viewing lab and uh, related to comics, like in the next couple of years. But if folks want to get interested, if folks are interested in kind of learning more, they can always email me, uh, jwygard at richmond.edu, or find me on social media anywhere. Um, to think of what else i have going on uh i'm teaching a, a course on digital communities and comic studies uh this fall uh that's going to be a community engaged version so i'll be getting my students involved in the richmond community in different ways uh they will hopefully be developing some digital projects that are connected to comics comic studies in different ways and trying to leverage that uh leverage those methods to working with our community partners which i'm really excited about um and I think that's about it. I mean, I have I have plenty more going on, but I you know I won't take up too much of everyone's time. <laughs> no, it is all good. It is all good. I just pulled up the um, PDF, which 
ends with a interview with Nick Susanis, one of my favorite people too. Um, the how to study comics and graphic novels that you yeah. recommended. So uh, yeah, that looks great, and looking forward to sharing that with folks. And I love open access stuff that is um, so huge because there's there's so much good work out there behind paywalls in academia and publishing so um great to share that as as well as uh the other titles and ideas that you shared there yeah i would agree and you know uh when we were when we were when we were messaging and we were talking about like and, and earlier we were talking about like games and 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 play and and comics in different ways um I think for like like a lot of folks, unflattening Nick Susanna's book on flattening was like hugely influential on me when mm-hmm, I came mm-hmm. across it in my PhD. Um, it actually ended up inspiring me to create my like video game dissertation uh, and to start really trying to do more critical making work in different ways. It was uh, a hugely influential text, and it's something that I also try to give my students whenever possible. You know, I. I don't know that I don't know that my students always need the entire book, but I try to assign a couple of chapters because I find that it really gets students thinking differently about how comics work and and also like how comics can can inspire us to think think broader, right? Like mm-hmm. um, unflattening kind of gave me the the push I needed to try to make a, a a very short video game demo for my for my dissertation, and um, it's not. It's it, it's a little bit of a buggy thing, but I'm kind of proud of it. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to shout out Nick's work in general. He he does really, really inspiring stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the play aspect, because that's one thing that I sort of jumped over. Um, but that those are themes in your work that that interaction of narrative and ludic possibilities um, for creating storytelling. And you mentioned video games, which is a whole other world. <laughs> Um, uh, uh, once upon a time I was a gamer and then I started a doc program. And so I need to get back around to that, that side of my life, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate the playfulness that you bring as well. Oh, well, thank you for, for me. It's just that they're all, they're all intertwined, right? Um, like if you look at the early development of like tabletop RPGs, like Dungeons and Dragons and, and those early, like those really formative RPGs. There's a lot of comic book artists that are working in that RPG space and a lot of RPG writers who migrate to comics in different ways, right? Like uh like Howard Chaikin did a lot of uh like RPG art. Um and and you can kind of go down a whole rabbit hole that way too. But I also know that there's a lot of folks who bounce back and forth between the video game industry and the comic book industry, you know, creatively, right? Like they're doing writing for one, or maybe, you know, like they end up leveraging some of their artistic stuff for both. But there's there's something about reading comics, right, that requires us to intervene as readers, right? We have to kind of imagine, you know, if you go if you go the McLeod route, like imagine the spaces in between gutters. But even just, you know, trying to read these things, it takes some interactive work. And video games kind of ask us to do that, too, in really different ways. And playing games kind of makes us different kinds of readers and vice versa. They feel very synergistic. Or you can look at stuff like, I wrote about this a little bit, but look at stuff like You Are Deadpool, which is like a, a game comic. And also Jason Shiga's, uh, I can't think of what his, oh, he just had a really it's great. Like Adventure, Adventureland or one of those, I think is. Yeah, it's something like that. It's it's really great. And I have it, I have it on my, my to read list. I've I flipped through, flipped through it at the library several times now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he does. 
amazing stuff. Adventure game comics, Leviathan, yes. um, and the Beyond. And yeah. then one called Meanwhile Pick Any Path. Right. Yes. And those are really great, uh, really great examples of what I kind of think of in terms of Ludo comics, these sort of spaces in in and overlaps between game and comics that aren't pure adaptations, but they're sort of using the mediums to do one thing or or another differently. Mm-hmm. So you are Deadpool's one. Uh Jason Shiga's work is in there. There's some video games like um oh there's a noir one that just came out recently. Infinite Noir, something like that. I can't think of. And then um I was just listening to a recent episode. You had uh uh Steens on the podcast and Steens mm-hmm. Steens uh oversaw this really great um collection of like RPG materials called rolled and told yes. and they use they use comics to sort of teach about how rpgs work in different ways i love that right and those and and that's a another really great space where i'm like oh play in you know play in comics kind of keep overlapping so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah that, that was an interesting interview that overlaps and connects to what we were also saying about editing because steens is a person who is finding other people inviting them in uh giving space that way and yeah i think there there are scholars out there like karen Woolwind, um beth buckholtz people that i really appreciate that are making this really strong case um john wargo that play happens with learning for young children but i think it happens for older children and middle-aged children like myself i think it, that play is also part of learning um shelby being who just graduated uh, with her doctorate, I think yeah. has gone to one of those I states, Illinois, Indiana, one of those. <laughs> um, she just got a job there and she, she was looking into some of that too. So um, there's definitely conversation to be had for those possibilities of play as well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And also, you know, I think like we all kind of engage in it too, right? Like when we, whenever we make a new comic, right? Like we're playing, whenever we write something new for publication, right? Like we're still playing, right? It's, we're always kind of experimenting. Every time we step into the classroom, we are playing, we're trying something out, something new. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if it's stuff we've taught before, it's a new, it's a new audience. It's a new opportunity to, to try something new based on what we've read in the past. So yeah, it's, yeah. uh, Possibilities are out there. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely absolutely to to paraphrase the x-files in a much more positive way um <laughs> all right well well did we miss anything that you want to make sure to mention before we wrap up the oh. mission impossible countdown is on i see that um <laughs> i don't i don't think so uh i um i have a new uh I'm not even I'm not entirely sure I started that sentence out and I'm like uh if you follow me on social media somewhere um yeah uh I'm, I'm sure I'll be posting out about some new stuff uh oh I have I have one last thing I'll pitch um I have a new <laughs> I have a new article out on image text that I co-wrote with some of my undergraduate students back at MSU it's on comics nice. pedagogy and critical making um if you search Justin Weigert image text I'm sure it'll pop up but um it's a an article that means a whole lot to me because I got to co-write it with my students, um, with Claudia Kramer and Zaria Cannon, who are both who are both kind of going on to do different things. Zaria is moving on to comics uh, full time, hopefully, and Claudia is moving into um, like medical engineering stuff. But it's a, a piece I'm really grateful for, uh, grateful to have the space 
you know, to, to write. Um, so I wanted to shout that out and, and shout out uh, Bree Anderson and Lakin Brooks, who were the editors, kind of helped get that to see the light. Um, and beyond that, I really just want to say thank you for having me on. It's uh, very surreal to be on on your podcast as a longtime listener. So I'm uh, grateful for you making the space, too. Well, absolutely. Thanks for the the kind words about the show and thanks for coming on. Thanks for saying yes. And glad to talk with you and collaborate anytime. I'm looking forward to it. See ya. See ya. Bye.